0: Welcome back to the Sharp End Podcast. I'm actually the creator of the show. If you value this show, please show your support by becoming a Patreon member. Head to patreon.com slash the end Podcast. There are multiple levels you can choose from and you can do a one-time or monthly donation. I produce this show all by myself, and every little bit helps. Sign up and get exclusive Patreon-only content. Thank you so much to Jaquetta for her very kind recent Patreon donation improve your communication in the mountains. Get yourself a pair of Rocky Talkies. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver, Colorado. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. Rocky Talkie also donates $2 per radio to volunteer search and rescue teams around the country. If you need radios for climbing, backcountry skiing, or your caravaning road trips from crag to crag, check these out and make sure to use code SHARPEND at rockytalky.com for 10% off their radios. Your purchase will also go to support this show. Introducing Membership 2.0 from the American Alpine Club. Starting at just $45 a year, we've reimagined the membership experience to better serve you wherever you may be in your climbing journey. We're the largest community of rock scaling misfits in the country, and you belong here. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today. This show is also supported by MyMedic.com and Desert Mountain Medicine. Today's episode, I get to talk with Nick Tullison. He was learning how to multi pitch climb and had a huge fall. Listen to his story and what he learned from this experience and stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can win some swag from Nick's company called Beta. I hope you enjoy.
1: My name is Nick Nick Tolleson, and I am an online advertiser, and I also founded Beta Climbing. I'm 35 years old, living in San Diego, California. I grew up pretty much doing a lot of the normal sports, and then One day, my friend invited me to go to Yosemite Valley. It was my first time ever going outdoors. And once I saw that valley, I just really wanted to spend more time out there. And then that's when I learned about rock climbing in general. And then when I got back to San Diego, is when I really started taking an aggressive approach to learning everything about climbing and trying to be the best climber possible.
0: Is there a rock gym in San Diego?
1: Yeah, there's uh, a few of them. There's one pretty prominent um, company called Mesa Rim. They have three gyms in, here in San Diego, and I believe they expanded to Reno and, and uh, Austin, Texas as well recently.
0: So is that where you got a lot of your intro was in the indoor climbing gym?
1: Yes, that's where I started. I spent a lot of time there. I did many uh, instructional trainings, and then I had a climbing partner, still do, and, um, that I climbed with almost three to four times a week. Spent probably four hours a day in the gym or close to that climbing the walls and bouldering, just trying to get as strong
0: as possible. Cool. And then you, and then did you transition that indoor climbing skill to the outdoors?
1: Yeah. So I ended up getting the person who worked at the gym who gave me my uh, belay certification and then becoming good friends with her. And then she started taking me out to places like New Jack City, which is a little bit north. Of San Diego, and then also went to Joshua Tree and uh, Holcomb up in Big Bear. Yeah, and then since then, I got the bug of climbing and just wanted to do more and more. And multi pitch was definitely on the list.
0: So then, when did you start doing multi pitch climbing?
1: Oh, so actually, I and the accident occurred on my my uh, warm up to multi pitch climbing. I had spent about roughly nearly three years, most of that being in the gym and doing instructional training in the gym, learning how to set anchors, and reading like the Trad Climbers Bible and other related books like that, and watching hours of YouTube, trying to educate myself as best as possible so that when I got up on the rock, I had a pretty good understanding of what needed to be done in order to get down safely. Um, So uh, after doing all that experience, um, spent most of the time in the gym and just getting a little bit of experience outdoors, My climbing partner and I decided that we were going to set a trip up into uh, just outside of Mammoth called Clark's Canyon. And then also the ultimate goal was to climb uh, Crystal Peak, I believe is what it's called. It's a multi-pitch climb there uh, just uh, east of one of the lakes there in the middle of Mammoth. And so we planned a four-day trip and on the third day, we are going to do the multi-pitch climbing. So those couple days working up to it, we were just going to get really situated with each other. And um, there was a, a person who was going to be there to guide us through the whole process so that when it came to the actual multi-pitch climb, we were all going to be on the same page with doing everything that was necessary to climb safely.
0: And so this was like a, a guide?
1: No, it, it was actually, so my climbing partner, she actually knows a lot more people in the gym than I did. And So I was leaning on her to basically find someone who could teach us or not necessarily teach us, but walk us through the whole multi-pitch process just to make sure we're doing it safely and we're not missing anything. And she found this one individual who uh, people were saying that he had experience and he said he had experience doing it. And so I trusted her and what she believed, everything that was being said about him. So we decided to, take off with him and give it a go. And for the people who might have heard the story, I certainly don't want to think that I'm trying to knock negatively about anybody that was a part of this experience because I do ultimately take full responsibility for what happened to me while climbing that day.
0: Okay. Uh, So it sounds like this guy that you guys went out sort of looking for a mentor for your first ever multi-pitch climb. Uh, you didn't know him, but he was sort of vetted by some other folks. So he takes you guys out there or you meet him out there and, th- and then what happens?
1: Yeah. So he, we meet him the night before we sit down and have dinner together. We're just talking stories and understanding each other's philosophies on climbing and just kind of planning on our next day. So, The next morning, we decide to go to Clark's Canyon, and that's about a 40-minute drive outside of Mammoth. And we take this Honda Odyssey van through some really aggressive roads that are certainly not built for a van. I don't even think we're going to get out there, to be honest. And we show up, and we get to the very end of the trail, and we pack up all our gear and start to head to the face of the wall, and there is probably... I would guess at least 10 different climbs, if not more. And there was only a handful of people there. So we started climbing, uh, on the left side of the rock and kind of working our way towards the right, working around the rock face. And so by the time we did, uh, two to three different climbs, and this was just belaying each other up and down, doing some sport climbs, really easy. Five, seven, five, nine stuff.
0: And this is and, all single pitch at, at this
1: point. Yes, correct. And so we were working around to the next route, looking in the guidebook. And the guidebook points out this one called Wild Whales Arete. And it's, uh, I think it's a 5-9 as well, but it has two different anchor points. And our mentor decided that it might be a good opportunity to learn, or at least walk through the process of doing a multi-pitch climb on this really easy route and he can hang up on the anchor points with us and just walk us through the whole process and making sure that we're doing everything correctly. So we had a 70 meter rope and he was on one end of it. Then he instructed me to get in the middle on a bite. So I got on the middle of the rope and then my climbing partner was at the end of the other side of the rope. So he went up first, got to the anchor point, And then I climbed up next, got to the anchor point, And then my climbing partner Finished up, got to the anchor point where we were all at, and then she proceeded to climb to the second anchor point, which I believe. Well, the so, first... is
0: this really quick? So, yeah. is this a hanging belay, or is this a? Is it, are you on a, all standing on a ledge?
1: Uh, this is a hanging belay.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that until we got up there. It Was kind of hard to see in the beginning. Um, so, she gets. We all are at the same anchor point, which is at roughly seventy feet, and then she climbs to the next one, which is one hundred and fifteen feet and then comes back down. And then the the mentor and I discuss who wants to go next and he encouraged me to go up next. So then I get to the anchor point and I put the rope through. They I believe they're called mussy hooks. They're pretty like industrious looking, big kind of like contracting hooks. Put it through there and I come back down. And by the time this is all spent I think you, poly- so you
0: you take you undo your rope from your harness and then thread it through the hooks through oh, no. anchors?
1: um that's a good point I don't remember how that actually worked anymore I just remember I put my I don't know because the musty hooks have the little latch so you don't have to untie or anything you can just feed the rope through the the latch itself and so, so you I, don't you
0: don't unrope at all from the no. harness okay
1: no it's totally uh free of doing that so slightly safer than the typical process where I've had to untie myself, set my anchors and do all that process over again. Okay. So I, I come back down and I think roughly forty 45 minutes has passed by and it's a relatively warm day, especially sitting on the rock face and the sun's just beating down on top of us. So we asked him if he wants to go and he just decides he doesn't want to go. His feet are starting to cramp up and he decides we should all just – work our way back down. And at this point, it was up for discussion about who should go down. And part of uh, we did discuss while before we started the climb, a very general process of how the climb was going to go, but we didn't really provide like explicit detail of you're going to do this, then you're going to do this. And then the first person going down is going to be this person, and the second person, and really orchestrate the process out. And so when we we're up there, there was a lot of conversation, or not a lot of conversation, but just like a lot of confusion as to who should do what next. And I don't even know why I said it, but I only the reason I can think of is I suggested maybe I should go first because uh, I was just naturally in climbing outdoors previously. You know, once you get to the top, you just go all the way down. But having been my first kind of quasi multi-pitch climb. Uh, I just threw that out there and there was a hesitation as whether or not to say yes or no. And he finally said, yeah, that, I think that makes sense. And when I was, we're all hanging on the, the anchor there, I was in the middle, he was on my left side and my climbing partner was on my right. And in an order, he wanted my climbing partner to be next to him. So we needed to switch positions. And when we did that, the ropes crossed. So then he was like, okay, great. Well, we can't repel you down because the ropes are now crossed. So we need to undo that. So then he asked her to untie herself from the rope. So that the ropes weren't crossed.
0: And so she, but she's clipped in to the hanging belay via yes. the personal. Yeah. yeah. Like a PAS Correct. or something. Okay.
1: Yeah. She has her safety anchors connected to the, the anchors that are bolted on the wall there. And I, I'm positioning myself, getting ready, making sure that my rope is nice and tight and that like my portion of the safety process that I remember is is good. And I didn't want to interrupt what he was saying or kind of like conflict anything he's saying because I was really looking at on him to provide all the instructions and he's far more experienced than I was. So I didn't feel like I was even one to really chime in at that point. And so I was just, kind of hanging out, watching, but not really paying attention too much to every subtle detail, and everything that I saw was happening seemed totally legitimate. And then uh, so at that point, she got me on belay or on the rappel, and she was holding my weight, and she started slowly letting me down, and I was just pushing off, and about the third or second time I went to push off my foot, that's when I felt the tension of the rope completely disappear. And I thought, you know, like that would be kind of like the movies where you're falling and screaming and just kind of like failing wildly down. But uh, I was actually really calm for some odd reason. And I remember having these like conversations in my head. And as I was falling backwards, the first thing I thought was, well, I should look to see what I'm about to fall onto. And this was the perfect point in the rock because it kind of, the point in which I pushed off was kind of at a slight angle and then it went straight down and I fell part where the rock basically just went straight down. So I didn't bounce off any rocks at all. And when I was falling and I decided to look down, I went to look towards my right and I went to stick my right arm out to try to brace for the fall. But thankfully in some fashion, that I didn't fully extend my arm out completely, but I was able to land and simultaneously, or at least it felt like my leg, the whole side of my right side and my arm had hit the side of the ground all at the same time. And then I bounced back up into the air and then landed back again on my back. And at that point I was just trying to capture my breath and knock the wind out of me. And I was kind of, Doing was like kind of like mini sit-ups. And at the same time that happened, two individuals who, or three individuals, two of them who were next to us came running towards me. And one of them grabbed, sorry, grabbed my head. And the other person was holding down my feet and asking if I was conscious and asking me basic questions like my name and where I was. And then, about three minutes later, they started to turn me to my side and trying to check my vertebrae. And during that time, they're explaining like one person was from the military who had spent, I believe, 20 years and was had a lot of field training with taking care of wounds and injured soldiers. And the other person was, I believe he said it was a wolf certified person for about 30 years. And... So they, they seemed like very well knowledgeable about what they were doing as far as taking care of me. And I remember him going down each vertebrae in my back asking if it hurt, if this hurts. And I just remember laying there telling them no. And it was just as if they were in complete disbelief. They didn't, they're like, we just saw you fall. It looked like it was at least 50 feet. And we can't even, we don't even understand how you're conscious, let alone not feeling any pain. And so they checked, I think, three different times within about a 45-minute period. And all the time while I'm just lying on this small rock that's protruding out of the ground, roughly about an inch, thankfully nothing larger because the surrounding areas filled with probably 20-foot boulders everywhere. And uh, I was at slightly um, an angle where my feet were above my head and I was wearing some relatively aggressive shoes. And about an hour into it, I was begging them to at least let, take off my shoes because my feet were going so numb. I couldn't, I almost felt like I had more pain in my feet than anywhere else. And they were really hesitant to do that at first, but then thankfully they were able to release the heel off of my shoes. And during all this, finally the guy, I don't know if he had a, a satellite phone or what, but he was able to call in and ask for emergency rescue, which... Part of them got there about an hour and a half into it. And then after laying there for three hours, finally the rest of the crew showed up and they were willing to take me in. But I'm um, sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So while they were checking me, I just remember staring up at the rope and the rope was leading back up to where they were. And my, I couldn't see my climbing partner or the mentor person. They were out of view The guy, one of the guys was up there yelling, telling them not to do anything. He was terrified that if they were to do anything, that they, because of what just happened, they might ultimately fall on top of me and they didn't want an additional accident occur. Um, So he ended up climbing up there and bringing them down one by one. And my climbing partner ended up sustaining an injury where she had the excess rope on one of the side of her forearms basically where her elbow for the bicep to her forearm is it ripped off her skin.
0: Like it All, gave her a rope burn or something? Yeah,
1: I gave her uh ended up giving her almost a third-degree rope burn from that. And she tried to grab the rope, but uh obviously that was nearly impossible to do while I was falling. So they finally get me into the metal crate, and they wheeled me out of there. And then I take a ride into the hospital there in Mammoth and the get sent to the ER and the ER doctor was completely baffled from hearing the story. As I was like he- hearing
0: that you fell 50 feet and had no major injuries. Is that what yeah. he was baffled about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He he was just in disbelief that I wasn't like a, a wrangled mech a wreck and, uh, The only, the only injury that I could physically see was my right arm hurt really bad to where it just felt like the entire right arm was in just pieces. And so they did a full x-ray, CT and MRI on most of my body. And they ended up finding not even a single fracture. The only thing that they found was that I had a gallstone that I didn't know about. And three days later, I was able to walk out of the hospital.
0: Wow. That's incredible it seems like you really lucked out. Like luckily there you didn't fall on any rock or, you know, you didn't like break your back by bouncing off anything along the way.
1: Yeah, it was, I think honestly, it was just like the perfect scenario for avoiding any major incident. I was wearing a helmet right. and the helmet only had maybe a quarter size scratch in it. So I don't know how I was able to you know result in such a small mark on my helmet thinking of a fall like that and somehow my head didn't hit harder and i wasn't wearing a super expensive rock climbing helmet i was only wearing probably one of the cheapest black diamond helmets you can find out there and uh, surprisingly didn't lose consciousness didn't have a concussion. anything like that
0: so what did you learn from this
1: Uh, so there's a few things. I think first off, um, you know, kind of what I was alluding to the idea of not having a detailed plan when we were discussing this, I never once really envisioned this would how we would do our kind of multi-pitch kind of process of learning. And I'm not sure if that's even the right way to go in about it, to be honest, but, uh, I think now, looking back in retrospect, I feel like if at least if we would have walked through the entire process and explicitly said, "Okay, I am going to go up first, and this is what I am going to do up there, and then when you get up there, this is what you are going to do, and then the third person, this is what they're going to do," and all like really explicitly name out each process of of doing this at least the very first time probably would made a lot more sense because I think ultimately standing there on the anchor point at 70 feet and I'm already a person who is is not very comfortable with heights in the first place and just being up there and having this kind of awkward moment of indecisiveness and not really confident in what needs to be done next uh, caused a lot of additional problems like the idea of having her untie herself but then not tying a knot back at the end of the rope at least a lot, not allowing the rope to go through the deploy device or tie it back to a harness was the ultimate mistake there. Um, also too, like me going down first makes zero sense. Now thinking about it when I'm in the middle of the rope, I'm getting, you know, led down on the shortest or the shorter part of the rope instead of someone who's on either side of it. Um, and I think just I think our leader was overwhelmed if I could, to be honest. I don't know that he was fully comfortable up there. We barely talked after the accident. Um, I awkwardly saw him once at the climbing gym and we didn't really say too much to each other. And then after that, I never saw him again. And I don't know what he's up to these days.
0: So you guys never debriefed after the incident. There's no sort of like closure or discussion post incident.
1: No, not not necessarily with him. I didn't know him too well, and i I think he just. I mean, I've had to guess. I think he felt really bad about what happened, and maybe he was just having a really difficult time with uh, with what happened, and whether or not it was even okay to talk to me. Maybe he thought that he had a lot of animosity towards him after the accident. And I'll be honest; in the beginning, I felt like maybe it was pretty much his fault. But now, after taking some time, stepping away from it, I definitely feel like even though he was there to help guide us through this whole process, it was hundred percent my fault for not being fully comfortable with the situation, not being up there and saying, um, you know, like let's hey, really talk about like, it.
0: Can you explain that a little bit to me or, Hey, what, like, what are you, like, why are we feeding the rope through this way? Or what, you know, why aren't you um, repelling first? Yeah. Sort of any clarifying questions when you're, learning something is really, is, you know, you have to take ownership of your own experience. So that's good that you kind of came back around and decided to not blame that guy, like that mentor guy, but instead sort of like own, own the accident yourself. And that's probably pretty hard to do.
1: Yeah. In the beginning, I, I, it was just like, it was such easy to point the finger at him, but I realized that, you know, I, all these mistakes that were made, I've read numerous times or watch YouTube videos or just had conversations with people in the gym. And these things, you know, as easy as they are, they probably were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that'll be totally natural hanging on the rock and having this conversation. And I realized how different of a scenario really is when you're doing something completely new, especially on rock climbing and not knowing him very well to where I didn't feel confident enough to speak up and just even ask insightful questions that would have been beneficial to all of us, perhaps to avoid potentially what happened. I mean, my, my partner and I talked about it a lot and it it's, it is really challenging to discuss um, even between us because not that we're mad at each other, but just emotionally, just, you know, start getting too emotional about the conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think looking back, it was the brightest idea to go with somebody up on a rock that I've never climbed with previously before that day, either trying to do something two days later on a multi-pitch climb that several hundred feet doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, I think I was perhaps too gun ho to want to do a multi-pitch climb.
0: Right. So it sounds like, uh, maybe one of the learnings is to, um, pr- maybe practice multi-pitch, uh, in a more controlled environment, potentially indoors even, And then uh, with somebody that you trust or a paid guide. Um,
1: Yeah. I didn't even honestly know paid guides were even a thing, sadly. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. They are for sure. Yeah. But now you know. And so um, do you have any other learnings that you want to share?
1: I guess it's also a struggle for me because I'm not the most experienced climber. And I don't want to say that something and it can be totally wrong. But I just, you know, those are the key points that I felt like were Blarely, obviously, were wrong, and I'm sure people who are far more advanced in the rock climbing world could point out a few other things. Um, like I said, I don't even know if three people on one rope is even necessarily the most safest or thing to do in the first place. Yeah, you, you know? can
0: certainly have three people on one rope um, if it's done uh, with intention and with systems backed behind that intention. And so, I would suggest uh, looking into um, taking uh, taking a ropes course and be trained by like an AMGA guide. I mean, there's lots of courses out there that you can take. Um, Definitely in California, there's lots of outdoor courses that you can take. So really get, get those hands-on experience from uh, professionals before you, before you do that again. That's, that's what I would suggest. Yeah. That That way you just feel more confident.
1: Yeah. That's certainly one thing that, you know, I, I definitely would be very considerate of, um, but I have yet to go back outdoors. Uh, I just have so much mental struggle, even bouldering, let alone hanging on a rope inside the gym when I know it's the most safest environment possible. I have the classic Elvis leg and I'm just an utter mess 10 feet off the wall these days. So it's something I'm trying to mentally work through, that's for sure. And I definitely have a lot more respect for people who have PTSD. I've always thought that If I ever had something of a PTS situation, that I'd be mentally strong enough to overcome it. And it's truly amazing how your mind can just overtake you and basically incapacitate you, even though you may perceive yourself as someone who is mentally strong.
0: Yes, Nick, that's absolutely correct. Uh, Fear is paralyzing. And what you have is a stress injury, and so I recommend that you go back and listen to—I can't remember what episode it is—but it's the one that I did with Laura McGladry, and she started the Responder Alliance. And the Responder Alliance essentially sets you up with professionals, therapists, counselors, uh, professionals of that nature, and help you—they help you work through that stress injury that you now have from your incident, uh, which is which is making you avoid uh, climbing. So, um, just to get back on the horse, to get back out there, you really have to work through that stress injury and it's going to take some time.
1: Yeah. That's something I haven't yet done. I haven't done any sort of counseling or anything therapy wise related to try to overcome it. I did get back on the wall a month after, after all my injuries were healed back up. And, um, I don't know if that time frame of doing it as quickly as possible is the most logical or even reasonable, but. I did it as quickly as I could, and it still wasn't able to overcome the fear. And to this day, the fear is just getting worse and worse as opposed to allowing time to heal, as some would say.
0: Well, again, Nick, it will take time, and, and it will take effort. And you'll have good days and you'll have bad days, but you have to put in the effort, right? That's a It's a practice. And start small. I mean, just start by going outside for a walk. Start small by going for a super short one-mile hike. Start small by maybe committing to do, you know, one single-pitch indoor climb, right? So just set small goals and then move forward.
1: Yes, and I have I actually have executed your advice. And I've done almost to a T of exactly what you just said, and I definitely agree with you. There, There are days in which I'll be indoor climbing, and some days feel 10 times better than others. And it almost feels like you're taking two steps back every time you take a step forward. But, um, yeah, it's definitely not a, an easy process to just overcome such a thing.
0: And, and also what I think could help uh, just hiring a one-on-one guide and telling them everything that happened and that way they can they can sort of be a little bit more compassionate and empathetic to where you're coming from and be a little bit more gentle with their instruction and start small with you and then t- they'll teach you all the systems in a way that you're able to understand because guides are there to be to tailor their lessons to your learning style. That's a good that's what a good guide and a good instructor does. So if they can figure out your learning style, Nick, then you'll be able to learn that information in a very clear concise organized way that will work for you. Unlike on, you know, three people hanging from a hanging belay first time you've ever done a multi-pitch climb when things aren't quite making sense and then one falls. So then, you know, so you don't know, see what I mean. So it's just a little bit different of, a, of an experience that you're paying for with a guide than you are just with somebody who's not, that you don't, that, that you don't know.
1: Yeah. And I definitely, that's probably another mistake. If you had to add another one is now that I know that guides are a real thing, I've would if I were to ever go do it again, it would certainly be with a paid guide because I definitely agree with that concept of what you just said about them. And I've thankfully met two of them so far, but I have yet to do any outdoor climbing because I haven't been in the gym to even climb at all due to COVID, of course. So uh, I, uh, once I do get back in the gym, I am certainly going to go in that direction with a guide.
0: Thank you to Nick for being on the show and sharing your lessons with our outdoor community. Thank you to Rocky Talkie, MyMedic, Desert Mountain Medicine, and the American Alpine Club for believing in my passion project. MyMedic began after a tragic automobile accident. Lack of equipment and training led to a family member bleeding out, waiting for emergency medical services. MyMedic's goal is to prepare everyone with equipment and training for the unexpected emergency. My medic is assembled in the U.S., covered by a Lifetime Guarantee and the most visited first aid website in the world. Having access to proper first aid equipment is essential for anyone, whether you're building a house or just driving your car, always have quick access to proper first aid supplies. Each kit is packed with life-saving tools that are easily accessible. These bags are also super tough and functional, perfect for any activity. I prefer MyMedic First Aid kits because they look great, have a ton of features, and are packed with a bunch of essential supplies. Get your first kit today at MyMedic.com and take 20% off with code SHARPN20. Map Medicine offers an array of courses ranging from Wilderness First Aid to Wilderness First Responder. Whether you are a backcountry enthusiast or a guide, DMM has you covered. Having the Wilderness First Aid knowledge of the backcountry is essential for you and your partners. If you're ready to take a woofer course, visit desertmatmedicine.com. Are you ready? It's time for the giveaway. And I teamed up with Nick from Beta to do three giveaways. We'll do giveaway every Friday for the next three weeks. Follow my Instagram and Facebook to learn how you can sign up. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.